How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Saley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Juwao Santos. Previously, him and his team raised over 40 million euro investment launched a venture capital fund in 2018. Right now, he is smack in the middle of a 30-day social experiment in which he made ChatGPT the CEO, co-founder, and creator of a company called Aesthetic Apparel, which he supports for an hour a day, started with only 1K in capital, has hit $20,000 mark after, what, day 25, 26? Has had numerous investor offers, and he's even gotten the attention of some of the world's brightest markers, marketers from the likes of Dollar Shave Club and Death Water. Welcome. Happy to have you on the show, man. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, let me know how I can help. Yeah, I'm excited, dude. I'm excited to hear about your journey. You did a really, really interesting thing that not, not many others are traveling down the path for. And so I can't wait to dig into this. You are a unique guest because mostly I interview SaaS founders and CEOs, but I love your story. And so I had to have you on, man. So it's awesome to meet you in person. And so why don't we start off at the beginning, right? So why did you decide to create this and run this program in the social experiment for 30 days? Sure. You know, it was uh, March 18th, Saturday morning. Uh, I'm at my apartment. I'm staying around Southeast Asia these days. So I'm in Bangkok. You know, I open my phone and I see on my feed uh, Jackson Falls tweet where he basically said to ChatGPT, like, you are now hustle GPT. Like build me a company with a hundred bucks in starting capital and like tell me how I should build it step by step. Um, and then he's documenting the whole thing on like a tweet store. And I thought that was such a cool concept. It really like sparked this like childlike curiosity in me. And I just wondered, you know, how is this journey going to pan out if you say, you know, the exact same prompt, but like with a thousand dollars or a million dollars? Does that even influence? the output that you can get from the model. And so I thought, man, this is fun. I want to give it a try. Let's say like a thousand bucks and an hour a day of my time because that's still manageable. Um, and I'll just run it in my own free time for 30 days and learn a little bit more about this crazy thing that's changing the way we work. Um, and then it changed my life a little bit as well. Really? Okay. So that's wild. So yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting because like I told you, I think in the pre-show is like, that's one of the things that I'm doing. I'm doing a, an experiment, like a 90-day experiment myself to spend an hour and a half each day and just find out what the impact that AI will have on my business, on my customer's business. So I absolutely love that you're doing this, man. So I guess like walk us through, and I gave the high level detail in summary, but walk us through like what's happened throughout the journey, what are the twists and turns? And then like, what are some of the biggest surprises that you've had so far? Yeah. So, I mean, I think naturally biggest surprise was day one, you know, I'm really expecting to just do this for fun with a couple of friends. And, you know, I start the prompt and we actually got off to a really bad start because, you know, I asked it, okay, become CEO of the most profitable company possible with a thousand bucks an hour a day. And then it actually suggested three different businesses. And the first two were service businesses that would be super hard to scale in 30 days and it just wouldn't really make sense. Yeah. So I was like, well, these aren't really going to work. But the third one was a print-on-demand e-commerce store. 
And so I, you know, I've worked at a, an e-commerce startup before in Singapore with Rocket Internet, and you know, I've seen a little bit of how that works. And I know it can definitely scale because with print on demand, you actually don't need to run the operations yourself. You just plug the Shopify front end into a drop shipping partner. Okay. When you get an order, they'll basically print it out and ship it to your end customer. So that totally scales and I don't need to touch it. So I was like, okay, well, this has some potential. We can definitely roll with that. Um, I asked it for a 10-step business plan. We had like a very standard boilerplate business plan. And then I asked it, should we actually speak to angel investors? And then it told me like, Yes, you know, angel investors can be a good way to de-risk the start of your business so you don't have to use your own capital, blah, blah, blah. But you should always consult with a financial expert on these matters. And so because I did VC before, I was like, well, I guess I can consult myself and decide that this is going to be okay if I do this thing as a side project for fun. So I WhatsApp a few friends um, and I showed them the original tweet by Jackson and they were all like, that's super cool. Like if you're seriously interested in doing this for 30 days, like we're in. Um, and so in two hours, I kind of had like the key ingredients. Like we had a clear business to build, a brand name, a logo, like 2,500 bucks from my friends as angel investors. Um, and so I just put this down on a LinkedIn post. I was already active. At the time, I had, I think, about 4,200 followers. Um, and then I just hit, like, post. And that post now has over 5 million views. So that was definitely... Come on! 5 million views on one post? Yes. Really? Right. Okay, that's wild, man. That's awesome. So you only had 4,200 people. You got, like, 42,000 now, right? I basically 10 x my followers, yeah. That's awesome. That's fantastic. And it was just... It was just like that Sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon, you're like thinking through it and then you just made a run at it and then you started going. So I guess like with that, what? why did you decide to build in public? I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you anyways. Why did you decide to build in public? Well, the, the first goal was, you know, I'm active on LinkedIn already because I'm actually starting a media company. So I was already growing my own following there sharing the journey of startup founders through a project called underdog founders which is you know something we can talk about some other time um and so when i shared that for fun like the the instant market feedback was so insane that it was like well if i'm building a media company anyway and if people are going nuts for this we'll just build it in public because you know I, I've been following a lot of really cool people like Alex or Mosey, like a lot of these guys build big businesses and then actually regret not documenting things properly to be able to travel back in time and like see the path. Um, it's a cool way to get allow people to get involved, see how everything is evolving, but also as my own like memory book, you know, I, I'm probably going to be like a cool grandpa one day because of this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I like Hermosi's stuff too. And he does mention that in his, his pododcast. I think he's in like episode 450 or something. I mean, he's up there. He does great stuff though. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like that. And so I guess like, and I know it's been fun for you, right? I guess what's the most challenging thing about building in public and having chat GPT as your boss? Yeah, I think um, most challenging thing was definitely managing inbound. Um, when you have a traffic spike like that, like 
in like two, three days, I had like 5,000 connection requests to go through. And some of the profiles in there were like extremely valuable for me. Like, you know, high, high senior execs at very interesting brands. And so I couldn't just like plug in some software to like automatically accept everyone and not do the work. Um, and so basically I take 30 minutes for my day every day to just like answer a couple of them. And every time there's like a gem in there, I save it, um, you know, for the stuff I'm building, it's super helpful as well. So, you know, it's just a good necessary time investment, but then, you know, the daily inbound of messages, every time you post a daily update and just the upkeep for that, you know, it's actually easy to like build a clothing brand for an hour a day where you decide, you know, do we create new designs? Do we update our pricing? Do we do something with our marketing? Like that's the easy part. Just like full on handling the response has been the biggest challenge. I can see that, man. Cause I've, when I've had a post go viral, I've had a few, you do, you get tons of like connection requests and it's hard to keep up with, you know? So I, if you had 5,000 over a few days, I mean, yeah, that'd be a nightmare. Um, I mean, that's cool. That's how we met. I just reached out to you and I'm like, hey, man, this sounds like a cool story. Let's talk about it. So I'm glad I fell into the uh, gem category, if you will, or at least that's what I'm going to tell myself. So, um, but as it kind of progresses, so I guess, like, did you, did you have any background in AI or, or have you been working with like Dolly or ChatGPT or MidJourney or any of the other, or any of the the core, I should say, AI platforms that are out there right now prior to this? Or was this like your first foray into it? Yeah, this was basically like, you know, I was following a couple of videos. I was curious and I felt like it was time to get my hands dirty. And I thought, well, this fun side project is going to be like the motivating, easy way for me to spend a little bit of time on it every day. Okay, so that makes sense. So what did you learn then? Like you're almost done with the the 30 day period, right? You're coming up, you got a few days left. So what's the single biggest thing that you've learned about AI going through this experiment? Um, I would say I can answer that through the lens of what it's been like to build this company because I've actually had super zero time to really dive deep into everything that's coming out the last weeks. You know, GPT-4 releasing the plugins, like totally changed how you can use the entire tool. And I still haven't had the time to actually explore that. So with my experience, what I've been able to feel is you know, so many people have seen the post and then they reach out to me saying like, hey man, do you mind if I take this concept and like build my own business and start documenting it on LinkedIn? And I just go like, sure, man, like you have my full support, all good. Um, but I know just like the same has been happening with Jackson's Hustle GPD community. He's got like a big group of people on Discord trying to build businesses with GPD as well. Um, and traction is a big problem for a lot of these folks. And so I guess the biggest lesson for me has been when this type of technology basically like totally crushes your cost to start a new business, really commoditizing access to like simple businesses, people really start to differentiate themselves through their ability to capture people's attention mm-hmm. and then retain that attention. And so because we've had like the luck to have people saying like this is the coolest thing i've ever read on linkedin like we have um someone in the states 
where her mom was hospitalized. And every day she would read the daily updates and laugh for like five minutes before going back to real life again. And she sent me a message like thanking me for putting this out there every day. Um, and we're preparing a little like special present for her mom. But awesome. um, I think what I take from that is if you want to get to like a average level when it comes to like content, copywriting, branding, all these things, like ChatGPT and these AI tools are very good at getting you at average quality. Right. If you want to really stand out and like get people totally hooked, laughing all the time, like blowing their minds, that is still, I think, my key differentiator versus other folks that just don't really get viral. And so interestingly, I think like good copywriters, good storytellers aren't losing their job yet. Well, and you bring up a great point. I mean, there's in Hermosi talks about this, but he even talks about that sometimes there's a 10% difference between like good and exceptional, like top 1%. Absolutely. But you'll get, and even Mr. Beast talks about it, right? He's, he's, he talks about it all the time with his videos. And that could be the difference of 1,000 views or a million views. And so what's your actual framework for getting attention and then maintaining that? What exactly do you do? How do you approach it? And what's your strategy for executing against that? Yeah. So uh, I think a big ironic thing about all this is that all my friends know me as a guy that doesn't like social media. <laughs> you know, when I read, wow. like, when I saw Social Dilemma and this kind of stuff, you know, nothing of it really surprised me. Um, I have one post on my Instagram when I was looking for a flatmate a bunch of years ago. Like, that's it. That's strong. Um, <laughs> and so um, when I was actually challenged by some friends to get more active on LinkedIn, uh, I thought about it. And, you know, because I was starting my own company, I thought, well, from a pragmatic perspective, like this just makes sense. And LinkedIn does come across as like the healthiest network of all of them. Um, just in terms of content, it's easier to learn something. There's also some like less interesting stuff out there but there's yeah. less interesting stuff everywhere and so it's a little bit more civilized so i can i can live with that so i told myself like i want to be able to create content that i will respect like i don't want to use templates to sound like everybody else i want to like share my own original views and i want to put stuff out there that i would enjoy reading like no low effort stuff. Um, and so how I think about content is in this in these days where, you know, there's this all this like crazy schedule behind me trying to like handle media and it, developing the product and talking to users and everyone that's reaching out. Um, I have to get faster and faster at executing the daily update while still trying to keep it interesting. But um, I don't have like a, a super fancy strategy. What I do is I try to make sure that there's a nice mix of accuracy. So, you know, what is happening, mm -hmm. then humor, entertain people. But also like I try to make the content like a little bit wholesome or like I try to promote, you know, people being good humans. Uh, and I think that allows people with different tastes to connect to different pieces. Like some people just want to see how the business evolves. 
and they want to see this as like a study for hype marketing. Some people love like how I keep sharing all the humans that I meet along the way and like how I know I'm here in New York and I'm staying at the guest room of one of our investors because when I reached out on a daily update, I said like, if anyone has a place I can crash, that'd be cool. Um, so for some people, it's a human element. For others, it's like how I get the screenshots of our dialogues with ChatGPT and I put them on our Substack every Saturday. So I try to create a little bit of everything for everyone um, and never hit post if I don't think it has a high bar. Yeah, that's good, man. I, I think, so how long does it take you to execute creating a post from when you first started and how much have you trimmed the time down to then? I think these days I probably do somewhere between like 30 minutes to 40 minutes. Um, it really, like, if I just want to be very factual about it, I can be like, yeah, this is what happened yesterday, boom. But I know that's going to drop off a lot of my current engagement, and I want to protect that and continue to provide a good experience. Um, so it it also depends a little bit, like, when I was writing them in Asia, I would mm -hmm. write them at the end of the day. So sometimes it's like 11 p.m. Like I've been working since like my breakfast meeting at 8 a.m. I'm like exhausted and I'm like typing like a zombie trying to come up with a fancy joke or something. Um, now it's actually the other way around. So I write them at 8 a.m. So I'm a lot more fresh. And so the time has gone down and ideas come more quickly. Dude, I, so first of all, I love the fact that you're giving people shout outs. Like that's a reminder to me. I need to get back to that because it's, a, it's just good. Like there's so much crap out there and negative news that it's good that there's, you know, you're promoting people's just being good people, you know? So I think that's awesome. Kind of reminds me of Ted Lasso a little bit, you know, when you look at Ted Lasso <laughs> season one and two, you know, uh, there's a, I, I think I, I did a podcast about it, but that was one of the things, man. It just makes you feel good, you know, when you're watching mm -hmm. it because of, of how it interacts. So I think that's uh, that's something really, really strong that I haven't heard anybody else really talk about. So props to you on that. And then the journey, I think, is amazing as well, going through that. And then you got the factual part. So um, educate, inform, inspire, you know, you, you get, you're wrapping them all together. So great job on that, man. Um, I guess, like, as you're going through this, uh, I guess you got a few days left. What I mentioned some of the highlights of what were outcomes for you from this. And you mentioned, okay, actually, no, I'm sorry. I'm going full circle here. That's what I do sometimes, right? I'm in vacation mode, so you have to apologize. Um, or oh, I apologize yeah. for this. So if we're talking, so that's the capture attention. What do you think you do special for retaining attention, right? And I know you talked about it a little bit, like you didn't want it to fall off, but do you have a formula or something you pay really, really close attention in terms of maintaining attention? Yeah. So I usually tell folks who like ask me in person where I see this going. Um, I think like speed of execution is super critical to what we're building because as we're documenting things daily, the faster we are at achieving new milestones, the, the more we can like repeatedly blow people's mind, you know, we haven't even done the first 30 days since the store is on. And like we have over 100K in confirmed investor capital. Like we have these sales, uh, we have all this media coverage. 
Um, I'm getting requests from folks to host AI meetups like everywhere around the world. Like I've had one in Singapore. People are asking for one in Dubai, London, Amsterdam. I'm getting invitations to be like a keynote speaker in places. So like it's just been nuts. Like I just accept that my life is very surreal now and mm -hmm. I just work really hard trying to meet interesting people and build something cool. But to answer your point, I think it's really speed of execution keeps people in because they want to see like what the hell can this project do next week because every day i have something crazier and crazier and crazier or at least ideally as crazy as last week Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. So did you set up a framework at the beginning of like, hey, this is a path I'm going to go down because you've built businesses before, right? And you, I know you got a background in growth. So you have, I should say, good raw material to work from in terms of how to execute against this. Did you, when you first started, are you like, all right, days one through seven, I'm going to focus on this, eight through 14, this, so on and so forth. Did you have kind of a raw idea of that or an outline? So on purpose, I did not want to start centralizing the strategy for the business in my head. Because the whole concept of what we're doing is to see how ChatGPT would build something, right? So I'm trying to minimize my own influence in the business. And something really interesting was because so many people started sending messages with their own proposals for things I should do, I actually started recording all of these. Mm -hmm. And then I basically look at it like as a menu and I choose what I think are good quality proposals to run through the boss. Like I call myself the EA to the CEO because I'm just like doing some admin. And then like the CEO, ChatGPT is actually making like the most important decisions like what should be the retail price for t-shirts and hoodies? What colors should we have them in? Where should the logo be? What should the designs be? Um, so I'm just an EA executing what the boss says we should do. And then ideally, even at scale, we can allow people to shape what this company becomes just by taking in the proposals that come to us through inbound and running them through GPT. And so as this thing gets like more and more serious and it turns into a real business, like, of course, I need to be responsible with investor capital and do my best to grow the company. But I think actually the best way to grow the company is to keep the story as interesting as possible so everyone stays hooked and continues to share it with everyone else. Yeah. And so I, I try to not over-strategize and, and make it my own. So uh, you seem like a go-with-the-flow guy. Is that how you are in other parts of your life too or no? Um. I I wish I could say that like I love Buddhism and I meditate and all this stuff, but like 
Um, a lot of my friends would say I'm like an overthinker that like overly rationalizes things. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think I can be so easygoing about everything in real life. My my wife. Oh, yeah, she's over there. She's probably looking at me because she was just telling me earlier that I'm an overthinker. So it surprises me that you had the ability just to kind of let go and just, hey, we're going to see where this goes. I guess you looked at it as a 30 day experiment. So what's going to happen next, man? How how long are you going to take this? Uh, what's the plan in terms of continuing past the 30 days? Walk us through what you're thinking or yeah. what your boss is thinking, I should say. Maybe we do it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think looking at it very pragmatically, you know, we have a fresh new LLC. It's getting investor money. It is our responsibility to try to maximize returns. So, like, if we really do this, which we are really doing, I can't just, you know, the day number 30 is this Sunday. I can't just be like, well, guys, I'm out. <laughs> it out. was 30 days. We're done. No. So we're actually going to build this. And um, I think when we see folks picking up this story everywhere, and, you know, this has been like top news story in Denmark on the Danish Financial Times. You know, I've had a, a previous girlfriend from Poland, like, send me a link and like, why are you on one of our biggest media portals here? Um, so when we see this level of, of interest in the story, um, I think we will do our best to continue to ride this journey out. Um, I think, I, you know, when you think about uh, um, how kind of a lot of big household brands that today we take for granted were built back in the day, like, a lot of those founders were just trying to do something they were passionate about or like they didn't want to have a corporate job. So they were trying to do their own thing. And then it just became this icon, right? So I have no idea. And I don't really have like a clear intention to like become a fashion tycoon. Um, it's really not in my personal preference. Um, but, you know, the story is pretty crazy. And I actually had this thought this weekend flying into New York, like, we're probably the craziest fashion label of 2023, like up until this point, like April 12th, when we're recording this. And so like, I'm very curious to see, you know, we're starting influencer marketing in a couple of weeks um, because so many content creators are already organically sharing our story. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's probably going to do quite well. And as we get the attention of people like Mike from Dollar Shave Club and others, um, it does raise the question, you know, this is a really cool story. Can we actually leverage it and turn this into a really big company? Um, we'll find out. I'm trying to stay uh, true to the roots of the project and just like minimize my influence and, and see what the boss says about it. Okay. So let's let's go outside your business. Pretend like you're not an employee anymore, right? Let's just, you know, I'm, I'm just talking to you, Joao, right? As as we're interviewing you, I guess like here's what I would ask you: like, where do you think AI is going over the next? I, I would I would normally say like year, but let's just say six months because I mean stuff's happening ridiculously fast. So where do you see the future of this going um, in terms of how companies operate? in their business as a part of their business and you know what it's going to do to the the labor and job force as well. Yeah, I think um 
you're good to make this question with like a six month time frame because you know today <laughs> I saw some Stanford people basically uh, took AR glasses, connected them to GPT yeah. and a microphone. And then it was giving you like what you should answer to the person that's having a conversation right in front of you uh, with text that appears on the glasses. So, you know, uh, the amount of creativity and the speed of evolution here is just like breakneck speed. Nobody can really say what's going to be happening 12 months from now. Um, you know, I think there is no clear answer to that. You know, I think we are disrupting basically almost everything. And the reality is it's a big double-edged sword. You know, it's unlocking amazing technological advancement in a lot of industries. And it can do a lot of good for the way we treat ourselves through the health sector, the way we approach climate change. I think we'll probably be able to use AI to find much more efficient methods to do carbon capture, which we really need. Um, so how it's going to impact all these industries um, will definitely speed up development of new technology. But also, you know, there are these natural questions on like, how is our labor market going to adapt to all of this? And so that's my fancy macro answer to not <laughs> actually answer the question. <laughs> yeah, I love that, man. You're a good employee. You didn't answer the question at all. You just uh, gave the politically correct example. But I guess like, and that's the thing too. I mean, like, and you seem pretty in touch with your emotions and obviously the emotions of social media are just connecting with an audience. And would you say that like our technology, I mean, cause this is the way I feel personally. I heard someone say this. I'm like, that's exactly it. Like this is amazing, but dangerous at the same time because our technology is scaling faster than our emotions are right. Like it's, it's, we're more, we're, we're accelerating technology at a breakneck speed and our emotions aren't able to keep up with it right now from a humanity perspective. Would you agree that that's fair or accurate or inaccurate? I think that's super fair. Um, and I can't remember who it was, but I saw this talk where a university teacher was asking his group of students, um, where do you go for news facts? Where do you go for science? Where do you go for entertainment? And then where do you go for wisdom? And when the question was wisdom, like nobody had like a clear answer. Uh, and I think that's very true of the world today, not for everyone, because there's definitely good educational content out there to basically like increase our emotional intelligence, help us understand how humans work, how to uh, deal with our own emotions better, how to connect with other people more effectively. So there is content, but um, I would say it's not super mainstream. And so I think there's. Uh, we could definitely have a little bit more wisdom in the world, I would say. And so, you know, just even before AI, just with this rampant use of social media or how like video games, you know, I've played them for a bunch of years. I'm all for it. But, you know, so many people get ultra addicted and then that kind of totally warps their lives. Um, and I think I can say this because I used to be a teenager like that. Um, you know, we don't really know how to put the brakes on things sometimes and keep them within healthy boundaries. Um, and I think that in a way, there's this really lame 
like game theory happening with AI. Uh, and this came out on in an article on time where a lot of people working in the industry think that they're not comfortable with the speed of development and the mm-hmm. unintended consequences coming out of this. But they all feel like, well, if I just quit my job, everyone else is still going to be building this thing. So how is that going to do any good? And so everyone continues the arms race. Um, and I think that's why we see things like the six-month open letter pause or, you know, in this same time article, like I'm blanking in the um, at the author's name right now, but it literally suggested that like we have to globally coordinate our strategy for the development of AI. And like it's such a severe problem if we do not learn how these models work accurately that this person was literally suggesting that we are able to track where GPUs are and we can literally airstrike rogue GPU centers where they are training models that are not regulated. Um, and wow. this sounds super sci-fi, of course. But the thing is, like, we already have these models being connected to the internet. And so their ability to continue to learn is, it cannot be understated. And then if they're online, their ability to actually play with parts of the real world is also there. So if we don't have a way to somehow navigate this arms race, um, there is a, a an above zero percent chance that something not intended is going to happen. And that sounds a little bit scary, but maybe it should. I agree, ma'am. I think it's something we definitely got to consider because, I mean, Sam Altman's even from OpenAI has even stated as such. He's just like, yeah, it's a little scary what we're building. But it's like, it's the Wild West right now because it's happening so fast and the government acts so slow with this. So what do you think the answer is? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think <laughs> um, ideally we would be able to trust that, you know, the bigger players, because they have more to lose and because they have like a little bit of a say in the industry, would actually be able to put in more safeguards. And so actually this is an area where I'm a little bit more comfortable with like a duopoly or an oligopoly of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think open sourcing all these models, like when we saw like some Stanford grads being able to like develop an alternative to ChatGPT for like 600 bucks, like that is crazy. Because if you can suddenly have, let's say 5,000 variants of the same technology being developed through different methodologies and everything is new, like you, you know, the cat's out of the box, like you can't stop this thing anymore. Um, but maybe if we were to make this just, you know, one or two core players and they are liable and they are aware of their influence, maybe that puts a little bit more of a check and balance uh, dynamic, um, but it's really hard to implement. So we'll see. Well, it's tough too, because you don't just have the two companies, but then you have you have countries that have different interests, right? Like who would be the countries that would be responsible for that right like i don't know it's it's messy but it's something we definitely got to work on and figure out i think together because it's it could be ugly so um so switching gears and we're just about up on time but you know one of the other things i know that you're really passionate about is helping founders uh specifically with kind of what you've done with underdog founders so do you want to talk a little bit about that and just give us 
your perspective on that because I think that's something that's uh, very, very helpful and, and eye-opening with with what you're doing in that space as well. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for asking. Um, it's it's what I'm actually building for most of my time and before this whole thing happened. Um, so Underdog Founders is a media company connected to a venture fund. And we're focused on, of course, Underdog Founders. So first of all, like, what does that even mean? So there's four criteria. The first one is they haven't had a big exit before. So mm-hmm. they can't just like self-fund their own startup and it's not going to be as easy for them to raise money from a bunch of VCs. Criteria number two is they are working to disrupt a market where they don't have a bunch of experience. So if you're building a fashion startup and you've been in the fashion industry for five years, like you have all this access, you have all these contacts, that's an unfair advantage. You're not going to be an underdog, right? And then because of one and two, you end up getting number three, which is you have a bunch of rejections from clients and VCs. And finally, you have to have the grit and the perseverance to keep going despite that until you actually find success metrics that show you were able to be right on the vision and you have clear product market fit. So those are the four things. And then what we're doing right now is we're meeting awesome people from all over the world. I think we've done interviews in like Europe, Asia, North America, Africa. Um, I'm not sure I've done South America yet. Anyway, so what we do with them is um, we have an interview for 30 minutes. We focus on everything about their journey, like who they started as a human, like what's their background. Then the moment of idea formation, when they started to come up with the concept, it started to become interesting, how they start sharing it with the first people, getting the co-founder, et cetera. And then peak adversity, the house is on fire, co-founder wants to leave, we're running out of money. And finally, like success metrics to show that this was worth it. And so we want to basically push this into all socials, either in text form or in video podcast. and then. Every time we've been doing this since January on our LinkedIn, the feedback has been super cool. Like our second story went viral. Uh, We got like viral for me at the time, didn't mean 8 million views. It meant 200,000, but it was still really cool feedback. Uh, A lot of connection requests from people saying, I love the brand Underdog Founders. I love the name. I love the concept. So I just realized, well, I guess now I have to build this thing. And it's also a pleasure for me to meet these founders. So like, let's do it. Um, And so when we post a story, we give really good exposure to the startup. And so they have investors reaching out, new clients, people applying to work there. So it's great for them. And then founders see it and they come to us and like they see how we can help each other. Can we feature their story? They're raising around. They saw that I used to be in VC. They want some help. So it's like everyone wins and it's just like good karma. Um, And then the next step for that was, well, if we have this pipeline, if I'm able to have light funding vehicles to basically write a check and co-invest when these guys raise, can we actually build an investment thesis to see if these guys who had the vision decided to jump in without all the financial backing, without all the industry insiders, 
and they actually found product market fit, will these guys who have a chip on their shoulder actually outperform the average founder? And so that would be something really cool to see. And so that's what we're building. Interesting. Love it, man. Well, it was a pleasure having you on the show. I love what you're doing, both on the ChatGPT site and on the Underdog Founders. I probably have some good guests that I could recommend for the show awesome. as well. Yeah. So we'll definitely have to collaborate, kind of like what we talked about. But where can people find you? Where can they learn more about you and follow your journey? And what's next, man? So uh, do you want to tell us where people could find you? Yeah, you know, uh, my name is like super common in Portugal and Brazil, but I think everyone else is going to struggle a little bit. But by now, I'm probably like the first option that pops up when you search for Joao Santos. That's like J-O-A-O-S-A-N-T-O-S. Um, and so LinkedIn is my primary channel. We'll be rolling out into other socials quite soon. Um, I think what the next steps are is essentially I'm raising a small round for the media side, not the venture fund of underdog founders. And so that's like between 250, 400K. I have about half the round done in soft commitments. Um, and so I'm looking for like two types of angels right now. The first one is like creative people who've personally seen brands grow a lot online. It can be on social media, but it can also be like web or blogs. They've seen those follower counts go up and up and they have like useful tips to go through that process, which is kind of like what I'm going through right now. And then angel segment number two is like the dream ambassador of an underdog founder. So someone that like sees what I'm trying to do, like instantly gets it and wants to help us. And so they'd be happy to write a small check because like they've built their company, it did well, and now they're financially comfortable. Excellent, man. Well, I'm sure you will have lots of offers on that uh, after seeing what you're doing and, and where you're going, but it was a real pleasure having you on the show, man. I'm excited about what you're doing and uh, thanks for being on. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure as well, Ryan. Speak soon. Cheers. All right, talk to you soon. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.